Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. I am hoping you all are having a wonderful Monday. Um, Our show today is about eating disorders and eating disorders as addiction. And we have um, a very well-known guest in the um, realm of eating disorders. Her name is Tinny McCarty, and she is the certified addiction specialist and licensed counselor in chemical dependency and one of the foremost experts in treating addiction to behaviors and substances, especially food. Um, Almost 25 years ago, she co-founded Shades of Hope Treatment Center. Her three daughters now work with her at Shades of Hope, where, as Tinny says, they love people into recovery, which I think is a great concept. Tinny lives with her husband in Buffalo Gap, Texas, um, which is 100 degrees there today. And thank you so much, Tinny, for agreeing to be on our show today and talk about um, addictions. Thank you, Mary, for help, for having me. I always love to uh, uh, to talk about eating disorders and uh, addictions in general, and uh, not uh, you know as as the problem that it is, but also uh, that uh, it's very treatable and people can recover. That's the good news. Um, can you define for our audience what what an eating disorder is and what an what an addiction is in terms of an eating disorder? Are all eating disorders addictions? Well, it's, that's very, a very controversial topic. Not everyone sees it as, a, uh, as uh, an addiction. I'm recovering myself from compulsive overeating and from bulimia. Uh, you know, used to weigh almost 300 pounds and then found bulimia uh, to help keep the weight off the last time I lost it. And uh, so I come not only professionally but from that personal background and... Uh, uh, you know, it's been uh, proven that uh, through lots of testing that uh, the brain reacts much the same way on some folks, not everyone, but those of us who have that addictive brain, that it will react. Uh, sugar, different types of food affects the brain in the same way that drugs and alcohol do. Uh, what we say with the compulsive overeaters, a lot of times... Uh, your compulsive overeater is much like your garden variety alcoholic in that neither one started out with intent to become an addict. They just were started out doing what normies do, and that is eat or drink alcohol unless it is, uh, you know, against their religion. And because of the brain and body chemistry, uh, food does for uh, a food addict what... Uh, 
alcohol does to an alcoholic, it changes the way we feel. Uh, and what that does, it makes us feel better when we have certain foods or certain amounts of food. Now, it does for an uh, uh, eating disorder person different than what the food does different uh, with our bodies and our brains than it does in a, uh, a body of a normal person. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, you're, so there it goes through the addiction process, much like drugs and alcohol does. And when we think about bulimia and anorexia, how are they different than overeating? Well, you know, the compulsive overeating, of course, is the overeating and taken to the extreme turns to morbid obesity. That uh, you can be a compulsive overeater and be a uh, uh, normal weight. You know, the, what that is is people can binge and then restrict. Now, your anorexic goes on the far other end of the spectrum, and that's the under-eating. It is the self-starvation. And uh, I was under the assumption years ago that anorexics didn't get hungry. And I have learned by working with them, of course they get hungry. But part of the disease is that control. That's really the one word that describes all three uh, eating disorders is it's a lot about control. But particularly with your anorexics, it may it it uh, seems a lot of anorexics uh, can't feel that they can't control what's going on in their life, but they can control what goes into their mouths and what they get uh, high on. What they get addicted to is that high feeling that they get from self-starvation. They began to get addicted to their own uh, endorphins that's created from the self-starvation. And, uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a real power. It's a very uh, uh, power struggle with the, the anorexic to, uh, you know, to restrict the food. And the more they restrict, the more they starve, the, the more of that feeling of power and control that they feel like that they have to retain and contain. Now, your bulimics then get a hit both ways in that uh, they get take in the massive calories. They get the numbing out of putting the excess food in their body. But then uh, they get a release from... Uh, from purging the food out, whether purging through uh, vomiting or purging through uh, laxatives or diuretics or exercise. It's a way to get the food out of the body. And what the bulimic feels is that sense of ease and comfort. We feel better after we use a substance. Now, normal people don't get that out of food. Only those of us who are have that brain and body chemistry of an addict. Food does for us what it doesn't do for the normal person. So, uh, you know, we're not a bunch of idiots. If it didn't make us feel better, we wouldn't keep doing it. And we keep doing it. It becomes uh, a solution to the problem until uh, the solution becomes the problem. Uh, because it is a very progressive disease, uh, it's chronic, it is fatal, left untreated. And uh, But the good news is that people can recover from eating disorders. That is the good news. You know, um, one of the things I was thinking of as you were talking is that 
sometimes people can develop eating disorders throughout their lifetime, can't they? It's not just something to develop as an adolescent. Absolutely, they can uh, develop. <clears throat> you know, uh, in fact, I'm doing a six-day intensive, and uh, I have a woman in there that actually her eating disorder didn't uh, come up until later on in her life, uh, and so that that is uh, that is possible. It doesn't all always start in childhood. It doesn't always start in adolescence. What is the comorbidity between eating disorders and? Um, other uh, types of uh, addictions, whether it's process addictions or uh, substance addictions. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear the question. Um, how prevalent are eating disorders in combination with, like, gambling or alcoholism or opiate addiction? Okay, how often very, very, very prevalent. <clears throat> and particularly, there's... Uh, we say there's triplets that usually there's there's triplets that run with uh, eating disorders, and it can be other process addictions. But uh, a lot of your eating disorder uh, clients will also have uh, the shopping addiction, and then the love and sex addiction. Many of them get into gambling. There is a lot of cross addiction with uh, eating disorders, and a lot of times the eating disorder uh, doesn't. Uh, uh, rare its ugly head until after people get sober from drugs and alcohol, they'll, they'll begin to switch addiction and uh, get into food uh, much uh, in the same way that they use drugs and alcohol. So it's really about uh, not what we're eating or drinking, but what's eating us. We've got to look at, at that core pain underneath what's driving the addiction. Uh, and until we really get to that and begin to to uh, to learn to, uh, to to you know to see what is happening underneath the addiction, we'll just trade off from one addiction to another one. Uh, many times, your uh, clients that have had <clears throat> the bypass surgeries or any of the of the of the uh, obesity type of surgeries, if they don't begin to look at what's driving the addiction, they will uh, either eat through the surgery or will switch off. Many of them switch off to alcohol. Yeah, I, um, well, a couple things. I had heard that just the fact of having the bariatric surgery makes you more susceptible to alcoholism because um, you're bypassing where a lot of um, food is absorbed and that's in the stomach. So just Absolutely. the nature of having the um, surgery makes you more susceptible. Right. Uh, absolutely. And then it's uh, uh, a lot of people have not even drank before they had the surgery. And then once they started, uh, it's uh, it's like Katie bar the door. Uh, we have uh, uh, we've had many clients come through shades uh, that that actually never had a problem with alcohol until they had the surgery. Uh, and that that is true. Uh, it, it, you metabolize it much faster than uh, you know than before the surgery. Well, I guess it kind of um, highlights the fact that you're still affecting the same part of the brain, whether it's food, um, alcohol, benzos, or gambling. Right? It's absolutely the same part of the brain that's lighting yeah. up. And one of the things that we're seeing is that there's a, a really 
high rate, there's a real correlation now between, uh, and it's more women than men. I'm sure there are men in this, but the study that I saw that, uh, and I've also experienced it with working with clients, that uh, a lot of times people after the surgery will get into gambling, will get into online gambling, particularly with your compulsive overeaters, it seems like there's a real correlation between the compulsive overeaters that have had the surgery and then the gambling addiction. It is just something, you know, trying to fill up that hole in the soul. That hole in the soul is something that, um, according to the data that you've given in the front of the book, like 74% of Americans have some type of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of holes uh, in the souls out there. It's getting more and more uh, prevalent, and uh, <clears throat> you know, but very, but still, very few people want to see it as the deadly disease that it is. And it is a disease. It's not a moral issue. It's not a behavior. Uh, it is a disease. Uh, and I keep saying the good news is that it's treatable. People absolutely can treat it, but they've got to first accept that they have it, that it, that it is a disease. It's not just a passing fancy. It is a disease. Uh, and, if you know, like I said earlier, if we don't get into those core issues, seeing what is driving uh, the addiction, uh, you know, it's it's not so much what we're going toward, but why are we going toward something to change the way we feel? And so it's not just the food has to change or the alcohol or the drugs. It's like everything in our life has to change. What does the role? What role does trauma play in folks that have eating disorders? I know the the people I've seen in treatment, they they seem to have a very high rate of trauma. There, there is, and and uh, we used to, you know, it was uh, early on. Uh, majority of your eating disorder clients that we saw would have trauma. It's not necessarily so that that everyone that has an eating disorder has trauma uh, in their past, but a high percentage of them do, and it does. It that's uh, it. Any kind of trauma in uh, in childhood, any form of childhood abuse will serve as a, uh, well, I call it like it does create that hole in the soul, like there's something wrong with me, what is wrong with me, and uh, that's why it's real important to go back and look at the history, not to stay in the history or to play it out or become our history, but to just get our story straight and do the the feeling work around the, the trauma, the anger work, the grief work, and then move past it. Because if we don't, we'll just stay in that the past of and relive and replay the trauma over and over. Uh, so it's very important in treating eating disorders that people are equipped and trained to uh, to uh, to to treat the trauma. And talk therapy doesn't always do. I mean, it, talk therapy is good 
when it comes to getting the story straight. But beyond that, there needs to be a lot of grief work, a lot of anger work, and to get those feelings out because that trauma attaches itself to the very cells of the body. And it's that's why it's got, we get sick from the inside out. We need to get well from the inside out. And we'll be right back after this commercial, more with Tinny McCarty. Um, if you have any questions, give us a call. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, One Hour at a Time. Um, today we're talking about eating disorders, the treatment of and recovery from with uh, Tenny McCarty, who is the founder of Shades of Hope, and Tenny is a uh, licensed um, alcohol and drug abuse counselor, and she has been working with folks with eating disorders since 1985. And um, if you have any questions or comments, please give us a call. One of the things that I used to hear a lot is if because I know a lot of people in recovery from alcohol or drug abuse who then went on to overeat and um, become obese. And and I can remember people saying, well, if you're in one 12-step program, how many 12-step programs do you need? And and kind of there was kind of like a backlash for folks that were doing, you know, multiple recovery programs. And what do you think about that? Well, I, I hear that too, that, you know, there's over 200 different forms, types of 12-step meetings in the world today. There's a 12-step meeting 
for about any problem that you might have. And the reason for that, that, it, that just one uh, one size doesn't fit all, it's real important that we get with like kind, get with people who understand where we have, have been. Uh, you know, if folks uh, haven't ever, ever been an alcoholic, they can't uh, identify. Now, you can, you know, certainly identify with the feelings, but when they start talking about the behavior, and that's why it's hard for eating disorder people to go to AA. And, and one thing, you know, because of the traditions, they can't talk about their eating disorder there, but if they do try to, uh, you know, it's not appropriate. That is strictly for a program for uh, alcoholics. Uh, but now, like I said, you can go and listen and learn a lot, but it's so important to get with like kind because no one, uh, it's that language of the heart. What comes from the heart goes to the heart. What comes from the head goes right over the head. If we, uh, and if, you know, we've just got to be able to share at our, our experiences because, you know, with each other, because there's a lot of shame with any addiction, but particularly eating disorders, there's a lot of shame. And if we ever get to talking about some of the things that we've done around food, you know, people will, uh, uh, they look at you like you're kind of, have lost your mind, you know, because they, they, they don't, uh, a lot of times don't understand. So it's all about the level of understanding, you know, getting with like kind to where, uh, one suffering person talking to another one. Um, you know, you, you bring up the shame that goes with, uh, with folks that have eating disorders. And I'm wondering, do you think people with eating disorders, especially, um, Either, either end of the spectrum, people who are anorexic or morbidly obese, do you think they face more discrimination or uh, bias in, in the general community? Do you, do you think that people look at them, especially, I guess, people who are morbidly obese and say, well, you did that to yourself? I think that... Uh... I still think that there's a, a, so much discrimination with the morbidly obese. Uh, now, with your anorexics, people uh, as a whole <clears throat> feel sorry for them. They uh, feel like that they need to get some help uh, and will try to help an anorexic. And, and a lot of anorexics will let people try to help them, you know, uh, all the time, knowing that they, you know, that it's, uh, that they're really not going to. It's very hard to get inside uh, of a of an anorexic's head and heart, and uh, you know, and for them to let the wall down. But now, with your morbidly obese, I think that there's a lot, still a lot of prejudice. Uh, I, I think that people look down on people uh, on the obese, and uh, somehow, I think as a whole. Uh, the general population uh, look at obese people as not as smart, not as intelligent. Uh, and uh, maybe that's my bias, but that's kind of what I see and what I have, uh, you know, what I've heard through the years of, you know, I, I'm, I am a normal weight today, but many years I, uh, you know, was morbidly obese, weighed almost 300 pounds. And although you're very visible, it's almost like you become uh, uh, invisible. People don't want to see you. They'll look over you, around you, won't look at you in, you know, in the eye because of their own embarrassment about not knowing what to say to you, you know, to an obese person. They really just don't treat obese people 
uh, is humans a lot of times. Now, not everyone, but there is a certain pop, you know, part of the population that I think looks down on obesity. I know myself, I've caught myself a few times in stores where they have the electric carts, like in the grocery store, mm-hmm. and seeing people who are so obese they can't walk, but they're going up and down the snack aisle. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like watching somebody buy their booze, you know? It's um, it's just sad. Yeah, and that's why one of the reasons that uh, I'm very glad that you're doing this show and that I'm, uh, you know, willing to, to come on this. People need to be educated that this is a disease, and it does. It saddens me when I see people very obese, uh, you know, going to drive in uh, oh, uh, fast food, you know, restaurants. You know, yeah. <clears throat> there's no good or bad food. Food is food. It's not, you know, the stigma that it's good or bad. It's what we do with the food that makes us obese. It's what we do with the food that makes us bulimic, and uh, you know, and for what it's, you know, and then the food restriction. So it's not about labeling food so much as it is. Uh, you know, it's it's the uh, people with eating disorders. We take food uh, to a place that it was never intended to uh, to go. You know, food is just to nourish the body. That's all it is. That yeah, it's fuel for the body. It's like putting gas in a car. But we make it so much more, and we make our body so much more uh, than what God intended. You know, our bodies are just the vessels that hold our souls and uh, you know it's uh, it's like a land rover that gets us from you know from a to b it's not but here in the united states particularly and not just the united states other countries we've made our bodies so much more it's like you know you have to look a certain way and be a certain size and even the sizes you know i was reading somewhere the other day that the average dress size of women across the the board is about a size 14. Uh, and then, you know, you pick up magazines of uh, movie stars and all, and they strive to be a size 2. So that there's nothing realistic about that. No, and, you know, I can remember back in the 60s when Twiggy came out. That's thinking, really oh my God, started. I could never look like that. But it seems to me, at least for my generation, that was the first message of you need to look like a stick. You know, uh-huh. uh, like a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah, and then anything other than that was, you know, um, not acceptable. Right. And, uh, right. And it's it's just sad. I think that um, the other thing I I saw I was running out the door to work, and um, on the Today Show they they had a segment on a, a young man who had lost who had been morbidly obese and lost a great amount of weight over. I don't know, maybe close to 250 pounds. And he, um, they profiled him on the Today Show having lost the weight and he was like the, and like the 30 year old virgin or something. And now he'd lost weight and he was doing all these great things. Well, he's, they had him come back and he's regained all the weight plus more and he's really depressed. And, you know, and I, I just, I wondered then about, well, what happens like on these shows like The World's Biggest Loser? What happens to those folks? You know, well, I don't know. I don't watch much TV, but what I have read and heard that many of them do regain the weight, and that 
you know, that's where I go back to. It's an inside job if we don't treat the insides and say what is pushing us, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, toward the food. If that doesn't change, we will either gain the weight back or we will just trade off to another addiction. Anything that can ease the pain of living. This is a whole lot about, uh, I've never worked with an addict. I was telling the clients this morning, I've never worked with an addict that, uh, that I've ever worked with or seen that thought very highly of themselves, that had very high esteem, self-esteem. So a lot, you know, and that young man, that's a prime example. So, So much of it is about learning to love ourselves, and we can't wait until we get a certain weight on the scales. We've got to start, as hard as it is, we've got to start loving and accepting ourselves, whether we're in our normal weight or 200 pounds overweight or whatever. It's all about loving, learning to love and accept ourselves uh, enough that we're willing to feed ourselves in an appropriate way. Uh, you know, so much self-hatred with eating disorder clients. Um, when folks go to Shades of Hope, do you um, encourage them to go to OA or uh, one of the 12-step groups? Absolutely, we do, and we encourage them to <clears throat> to get uh, sponsors. Uh, uh, we, you know, I, I'm, I so believe in the 12 steps, and Alcoholics Anonymous was very gracious in offering, uh, letting uh, all different forms of, of groups use the 12 steps. And the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is a, uh, is a tried and proved method of uh, if people will religiously, or not religiously, but in earnest, really learn how to work the steps. And you work the steps the first time, then you begin to live the steps. It's a living program, a way to live life on life's terms. And so, yes, you can tell I'm a very big advocate of the 12 steps. Well, it's a great way of life for uh, thousands of people. It'll work when nothing else does, absolutely. Uh, it will, and it can, uh, you know, it becomes a, uh, a way of life. And uh, because I don't believe that we're going to get over an addiction, I think we can treat it and we can live a full life and be in recovery. Uh, and it goes back to today. You know, I have today. I can recover today, and I. You know, before I go to bed tonight, I'll thank God for another day of abstinence and get up in the morning and start over. And uh, those days begin to add up. And before we know it, you know, um, like come September, I'll have 27 years of recovery. And I never dreamed, never dreamed I could do that. But, but alone, I wasn't able to. And we'll be right back with um, more about uh, recovery and treatment of eating disorders right after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Tinny McCarty, who is a licensed alcohol and drug abuse professional, and she is the founder of Shades of Hope, a treatment center in Buffalo Gap, Texas, um, which treats eating disorders as well as other eating disorders, and we've been learning a lot about this um, in the past half hour. I think the most important thing that, that Tinny is sharing with us is that eating disorders um, respond to treatment and there is recovery from eating disorders and that it's an inside job. You got to work on it from the inside out, which um, I guess is true for most addictions. But, um, you know, we know in, in the um, substance use world, uh, abuse world, that addiction is a family disease. And in your book, Timmy, um, I was really struck by, um, the parallels to someone who has an eating disorder and what their family situation is like. And so um, can you just kind of share with our audience a little bit about how um, with eating disorders, addiction is a family disease and the parallels there? Well, um, on a personal level, I did not think that my eating disorder bothered my children. But as I got into recovery and started talking with them, my eating disorder bothered them a lot. And I hid my eating. Uh, uh, You know, you can't hide the weight. I was very, very, very strict with my children and their eating. They would not. uh, I mean, I restricted the sugar. I made them eat three meals a day. I I, I mean, it was more like... uh, uh, military. I mean, I was very, very rigid with them. And then I would keep my stash, as I called it, in the trunk of the car. And when they went to bed, then I'd get out the junk food and I ate massive amounts of food. 
And so consequently, and I do have their permission to share this, consequently two of my children came out with eating disorders, uh, and uh, one anorexic and the other one uh, bulimic. And so I think I, I did not only pass on the behavior, but I think the body chemistry was passed on. Uh, and I have seen that with uh, some of my grandchildren. I think it can go from generation to generation, uh, the tendency to have eating disorders. So I think we must have conversations around it and teach our children, much like if cancer runs in the family. Uh, you know, we would, you know, absolutely educate our children about cancer and how to look for signs and symptoms and how to take care of ourselves. And I think we need to do that with eating disorders uh, as well as alcohol and drug addiction. Uh, and, you know, it's alcohol and drug addiction is... Uh, finally more out. Uh, when I first went into the field, it was still a very secretive disease, and now it's more out, and people have more freedom to talk about it, and we're hoping that eating disorders will get more like that, that there's not such a stigma with it, and that it is a disease, and it's treatable, and people can recover is bottom line. Um, Kenny, we have a caller on the line. Her name is Jennifer, and she has a question for you. Okay. Yeah, I have a question. I have an eating disorder of 30 years. I'm trying to get a hold of. I can't get a hold of it. And I do have a team of three I'm working with. Is this something I have to pull myself out of, or do I have to have help to do it? Well, I can't, I don't, I can't tell you, but I'm, I know most of us have to have a time to get pulled away from the disease and to detox. Uh, you know, to stop acting out of the disease. And if you've been doing it 30 years, I would highly recommend that you get some help either on a short-term, uh, you know, like a week program or long-term inpatient because if we, we've got to get somewhere where we can stop the acting out of the, of the disease. It, I've tried to get treatment. My insurance won't cover the treatment. My team has tried to help. Um, it's really bad right now. I'm not going to lie. It's really bad. I probably binge and purge on an average of two, three times a day. Mm-hmm. I take over 30 laxative pills a day, diet pills a day, water pills every day, magnesium citrate liquid three, four times a week. I only intake 900 calories a day, but I also walk four to six miles a day. And is there not any family members that can help? as far as financially or to help you get some help? No. No, I'm on my own. I have young kids. I'm married. I can't. Mm-hmm. Where and, do you uh, live, Jennifer? I live in Illinois. I've been trying to get help for months. My nutritionist, my therapist, my doctor have been trying to get me the inpatient, but nobody covers it. How, do you, how does a person get help if they can't get the help? And I've Great been point. labeled as, because I'm over 40 and the insurance I have, it's like two of the biggest no-nos in apparently the eating disorder world. Is what is, uh, uh, explain that. Because I have Medicaid. Nobody takes Medicaid. Everybody has been telling me I'm too old to have an eating disorder, um, but it started back when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And I've gone mm-hmm. from being bulimic to being 
morbidly obese over 400 pounds. I recently lost a little over 200 pounds. Now I'm back to bulimia, recently diagnosed as anorexic as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. Most there's I don't know of any place that takes Medicaid, personally. I, I mean, there may be, but I personally don't know of any place that takes Medicaid. And how most people get help, you know, our particular facility here, we have one of the lowest rates in in the United States that it does take money to keep a facility going. And, uh, you know, I've, we've had people, you know, they have borrowed money, they've sold things, uh, and a lot of times family members will come together. We've had churches help people go through treatment. Yeah, have I'm you, a member of a church, but any? they don't have the finances to do anything. So, Jennifer, have you tried any facilities and um, talking to any of the eating disorder facilities in Illinois? Yes. Okay. And have, have you, have you, you gone to OA, Overeaters Anonymous? They have tried to contact an OA meeting. There is not a OA meeting within two hours of my house. So you live in a small town. Well, I live near Rockford, Illinois, which is a pretty big city, and you would think there is an OA meeting, but there's not. Uh-huh. Have you have you gone online and looked yourself? What? Have you gone online and looked? They have online meetings. They have phone meetings. Uh, uh, have you? I mean, have you gone online and, and looked over Readers Anonymous? That's the only thing I have not done. I would support you in doing that before the day's over. Reach out for help because there's a lot of help available, and you don't even have to leave your home. You could. Uh, there's telephone meetings. There's online meetings. And uh, do you have a car? Yeah. Uh huh. If you didn't have your binge food, would you drive two hours to get binge food? I have known to do that. Uh huh. You might get willing to drive two hours to an OA meeting. When I first started in recovery, I had to drive to Fort Worth, Texas, which is two and a half hours east of where I live. I drove that every Saturday morning for a year. Now, that doesn't make me wonderful. It just makes me willing to recover. We had to be willing to put as much effort into getting well as we got into getting sick. Jennifer, do you have a um, pencil available or a piece of paper? Yeah. Let me grab a pen. Can I get, all right, let me give you um, two numbers. Um, and maybe you're already aware of this, Anorexics and Bulimics Anonymous. Okay. And the number is 780-318-6355. And they have a website. It's aba12steps.org. And there's Food Addicts in Recovery. And that's 781-932-6300. And they are www.foodaddicts.org. And maybe they can give you some resources. Okay. And just just know that just reach out to people and uh, and you just got today. You just have to do it today or a heartbeat at a time. Just, I got to do something because my 10-year-old daughter just got on the scale and said she wants to go on a diet. She said she's fat. Yeah, yeah. 
And I really hope you'll reach out to some of the numbers that Mary gave you. Uh, Anorexic Bulimics Anonymous is a wonderful organization. Well, they all are. And so there will be people available to help you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. I think Jennifer brings up a really good um, problem in that a lot of insurance companies won't cover folks that have eating disorders. And if they do, you have to be under a certain age. And, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have to be almost at death's door before they're even covered. So, But, you know, the amazing thing that insurance companies will pay for the surgery. I mean, that's what yeah. amazes me, where they won't pay uh, for for treatment. You're exactly right. Many many of the insurance companies do not cover any kind of eating disorder treatment. You know, it doesn't make sense, but they're covering the the diabetes and the hypertension and all of the illnesses that go along with um, eating disorders. So, you know. They'll cover the consequence, but not the cause. Right. Yeah. And uh, there is, uh, I know that there are organizations that are lobbying to insurance companies, but the process has been pretty slow uh, in getting them to, you know, because insurance companies in today's time don't want to pay for much of anything, particularly eating disorders. Right, right, right. You know, any kind of a, a brain disease, any kind of addictive brain disease they don't want to pay for, um, which is really, um, I think, unethical. But that's a whole other radio show. Right. <laughs> yes. I think that Jennifer also was kind of underlying this, this um, I guess, reality that um, eating disorders are a family disease. She has a 10-year-old daughter who feels she needs to lose weight. You have your children and your grandchildren. And, um, you know, I don't... How would you go about talking to your children if, if you have an eating disorder and they know you have an eating disorder? How do they... Um, how do you go about talking to them about and making it an open discussion? What I recommend to, to parents is to be honest with children. Children can really take the honesty that, you know, that is age appropriate. That's more on their, their level. Uh, and, uh, uh, and it's more, you know, to start early on letting them talk about their feelings because this is a feelings disease. This is what we eat over is what we drank over is our feelings. So, you know, to, if parents could uh, uh, have the lines of communication open where uh, children are open to talking about their feelings and not having to uh, stuff them down with, you know, uh, some kind of food substance. But I think it's about getting it out in the open and talking about it. And then once again, um, I think, you know, it's, it's so much easier to do that when you're, I guess, in your own, um, when you're when you're being really 
uh, honest with yourself about what's going on. I think it must be hard for kids to see, well, you know, mom or dad is saying one thing, but they're doing another, which is true for any addiction. But mm-hmm. I think it's Well, and children are very, uh, very wise. And uh, it's not, you know, some parents want to say, don't do as I do, do as I say. And children don't buy into that. So it is a lot about... Uh, you know, there it gets into the the meal preparation. You know, having the you know the right foods available for the you know in the homes, and uh, there's again there's you know not uh, there's no bad or good food. It's all about moderation, and uh, and you know and I used to not say that. I used to think that anyone that had an eating disorder had to have a sugar addiction. Well, that's pretty arrogant on my part to have that blanket coverage. I don't know that, but the body will tell you uh, whether it has an addiction to sugar. And the way that the the body responds is, uh, give me more. I want more. I want more. You know, really, this is an addiction of more. And we'll be right back after this commercial with Penny. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking about eating disorders and that um, eating disorders are really common and that people can get treatment for them and that there is recovery from uh, eating disorders. And as our caller in our last segment certainly demonstrated that, um, you know, treatment for eating disorders is uh, complicated to, to access, and there certainly needs to be uh, more demand from consumers from their insurance companies to cover eating disorders. And there needs to be a lot more awareness in the media about the fact that eating disorders are treatable and people recover from it so that there's more pressure put on to both private and public um, third-party payers to, to treat people like Jennifer, who has been um, suffering with this for 30 years. Um, in our last segment... Um, with Tinny, uh, I, I think um, not only are you an expert in your in eating disorders, but you're also um, an amazing businesswoman because you started this 
treatment facility in 1985, 86? Uh, uh, about 80, uh, 86, actually. Uh-huh. Um, with nothing. And um, so, so your story as a businesswoman is very inspiring as well. Can you share with um, our listeners a little bit about Shades of Hope and what your program consists of? Uh, We have a a small treatment center. Uh, It's a 22-bed inpatient, but then we have transition houses and halfway houses, 45 beds all together. Because so many of our eating disorder clients are are severe, and they need many of them need at least after inpatient treatment they need like 30 days for transition to start cooking their own meals, get used to uh, being around the food, um, and to tra- transition them back home. And uh, so it's a 42-day inpatient program that is. Uh, it's a very uh, no-nonsense type program. It's a, a, one of the few treatment centers. I don't know of other treatment centers, but we're one of the few that doesn't allow smoking. Uh, we don't allow the use of any addiction here. If people do smoke, they can. They, we have a step-down program, uh, and we treat them for the smoking, uh, or they can go on the patch and... Uh, so it's a, uh, it is a, a very multidiscipline program where we do, uh, you know, the nutritional uh, counseling, a lot of body image work, but then a lot of uh, family of origin work. Uh, so it's very, uh, it's varied. People don't do a lot of sitting around. Uh, they, uh, it's, it's hard work, but when people leave here, they absolutely know how to treat their eating disorder. Uh, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They have, not only do they have the information, but they have uh, the experience of being in treatment and, do, and treating it for 42 days. We have a psychiatrist, we have a medical doctor, we have, a, uh, it's not a medical model, it is a residential uh, treatment center, but we do have, uh, a, you know, a doctor, we have psychiatrist. If it's if they have medical problems, we do have to do, uh, to uh, refer them out. But it's uh, we treat anorexics uh, and bulimics and uh, compulsive overeaters, and uh, have seen a lot of success. We have a very high rate of success that, for people that have come through Shades of Hope. Um. If you could uh, give one message to people today, what would it be? I guess the message that I keep saying is that if they can accept that this is a disease and that there is a method that they can be treated by and that they can recover, there is hope, they can recover. Uh, But they they do need to get help. I don't believe they can, uh, can recover on their own. But there is hope and healing uh, if they can face the, the fact that they have an eating disorder and are willing to treat it. And um, what part does love play into getting better and in treatment? Tell me that again. I didn't hear that. Okay. What part do you think love plays um, in people getting treatment and getting better? I think love is, uh, did you say love? I think it's very yeah. important that, uh, uh, 
you know, I think with eating disorder people, we've many times uh, when an eating disorder person is knee deep in the eating disorder, they don't love themselves. Uh, and so I think it's very important that uh, that in here it shades what we what we attempt to do is to give people love, dignity, and respect. Love without honesty is people pleasing, uh, and honesty without love is brutality. So, you know, uh, you can love people to death sometimes when you don't, you know, when you're not willing to tell them the truth. Uh, but, to, you know, but to help tell people the truth in a loving way uh, and to treat them with dignity and respect, I think love plays a huge part in recovery. How can people get a hold of you, Jenny, if they want to get to well, they, they can uh, uh, find us on the web at shadesofhope.com uh, or uh, 325-572-3843. 325-572-3843 or they can find us on shadesofhope.com. Um, I keep going back to uh, to our to our caller Jennifer, and I'm wondering: is Jennifer's experience um, unique, or is that something that you see a lot of using that many? That, that she described a very sophisticated way of monitoring and managing her control of her eating. Is, are, are most people that sophisticated in what they're doing? We say it every day. Every day, we talk to people on the phone like that. Every day. We talk with people who can't afford treatment that are as bad as Jennifer or worse. We see it every single solitary day. It's yep. a lot of energy to manage that. Yes, yes, yes. And that's what it takes to recover if we can take all of that energy that we've put in uh, in getting sick, if we can put it toward getting well, that's what is amazing. But people have to be uh, shown how to do that, uh, you know, and they, they, have, they, they need to have the right to, to be treated. And, uh, and it, it saddens me that we can't take everyone who calls the phone here. Uh, you know, if I had my way, we wouldn't turn down anyone, anyone uh, that didn't have the money. But, you know, the uh, uh, bottom line, it takes money to keep the doors open. And to this point that I that I know of, I don't know of another. If there is any nonprofit uh, eating disorder treatment centers in the United States, then there's a lot of drug and alcohol nonprofit. But I don't know about eating disorders. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us, Penny, and for all of you out there listening. Um, the treatment center is called Shades of Hope, and the founder is Penny McCarty. And um, I hope you all have a good week, and my prayers will be with you, Jennifer. Take care of yourself. Make a phone call. Thank you, Mary. And and Jennifer, uh, give us a call if we can help. Thank you, Mary, so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.